For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Mark Didici. You're listening to Daybreak. Week two, done. It was a bit nonstop. Hopefully this weekend has served you well. In today's episode, we're covering all corners of Princeton and global news, from the Lawn Party's controversy and a stirring new faculty member, to Brown's announcement of a return to campus, to the fires sweeping across the West Coast. But first, try to think back to February for a second. Maybe it feels like a whole different world, but see if you can recall. What was the message from the federal government on the novel coronavirus? Well, on the 10th of that month, the president said we have 11 cases, and that it was, quote, very much under control. On the 26th, he compared it to an average flu, saying the country would, quote, essentially have a flu shot for this in a very quick manner. On the 28th, he called the virus a hoax. But in an interview before any of that, on February 7th, the president told reporter Bob Woodward that the novel coronavirus was, quote, deadly stuff, that it's, quote, a very tricky one, and that it was, quote, even more deadly than your strenuous flus. Trump's statements to Woodward were revealed in released recordings of numerous interviews the journalist conducted for a new book. Trump, in a press conference, denied lying to the public about the severity of the outbreak in February, saying he wanted to show leadership and, quote, a level of confidence. However, the president's lies to the public during the month of February have been criticized for doing just the opposite, sowing disillusionment in public health organizations and officials and creating an atmosphere of disarray as Americans increasingly feel that they don't know where to find accurate information on the pandemic. As the nation hopes for a safe and effective vaccine in the near future, it will be, of course, ever more important that the public trust the information coming from all levels of government. As you might have seen across any platforms of social and classical media for the past week, the west coast of the United States is currently experiencing wildfires, the likes of which are hard to put to words. If you've avoided the pictures so far, I'd recommend taking a look. Millions of acres, an area of land the size of New Jersey, have burned over the past three weeks, with officials announcing at least 30 deaths so far, and dozens of missing persons. California Governor Gavin Newsom has viewed these fires, some of which are of a scale never before seen on record in the region, as the latest example of a climate change emergency facing the nation and the world. The Democrat governor also announced this week that, in a bit of good news, nearly all inmates who work to fight fires will have their records expunged once released, allowing them to more easily transition into civilian life and, if they so choose, fight fires professionally. In other headlines, more than 50 people are dead in the Democratic Republic of Congo after landslides from heavy rains caused three gold mines there to collapse, trapping dozens of young miners and transporters. The artisanal mines use small-scale techniques and are often quite dangerous work environments. A joint announcement from the governments of China and India declared that troops from both sides will disengage from tense encounters along their shared border, despite heightening tensions in the past months and dangerous rhetoric from both sides earlier last week. After many delays, leaders from Afghanistan's government and from the Taliban are meeting in Qatar for historic peace talks in an effort to end a decades-old war and establish a power-sharing government. It would be the first in over three decades formed not as the result of a coup, an invasion like that of the United States in 2001, or collapse. Critics worry, however, that Afghan officials will still be bargaining under threat of increased Taliban attacks. And trials of a possible vaccine in the United Kingdom have resumed after being put on hold earlier this week after a participant developed a neurological illness. 
The UK equivalent of the Food and Drug Administration took the week to determine that the trials are safe to resume there. And AstraZeneca, the drug maker involved in the development, is working with officials across the world to resume trials elsewhere. In local news, Dr. Ajibusa Zheng, a renowned artificial intelligence and machine learning researcher, will join the Princeton School of Engineering and Applied Sciences next fall as an assistant professor, becoming the first black female faculty member in SEAS and the first black faculty member ever in the Department of Computer Science. Since the announcement was made, numerous students have reached out to Zheng, expressing how much her achievements mean to them, their excitement for her arrival, and just how much representation matters in a predominantly white department of a predominantly white institution. On COVID-19, the state of New Jersey is doing decently well. Though the daily new case rate of roughly 400 represents an uptick of 17% from two weeks ago, the state's 28 cases per 100,000 people over the last seven days is sixth lowest in the nation. Mercer County, Princeton's home, is doing just better than state average at 21 cases per 100,000 in the past week. On campus, only one new case out of roughly 4,000 tests, an asymptomatic graduate student, was reported this Wednesday, bringing the total to five cases over the first two weeks of some community members returning to campus. As of Wednesday's report, the latest from the university, one undergraduate and three graduate students remain in isolation for symptoms or a positive test. Outside of Princeton, but still in the Ivy League, Brown University announced on Thursday that all undergraduates will be allowed to return to campus by September 20th, and that some in-person classes will resume in early October. The school cited good-looking numbers both in Rhode Island and on campus, with a positivity rate similar to that of Princeton's asymptomatic testing for those on campus. While this might seem like a massively positive sign, and it is indeed a good one, the situation isn't entirely translatable to the orange bubble. Though Brown, like Princeton, downscaled its reopening plans in August, the former set up a plan for a phased return to campus, with some students arriving for the start of the year, but most arriving later in September, contingent upon good test results. With these good results in hand, then Thursday's announcement was really more of a formal confirmation than a drastic reveal. Still, though, it may be cause for cautious optimism for Princeton's spring semester, the plans for which have not yet been released. Fingers crossed, folks. A controversy gripped the campus this week as the university's undergraduate student government announced it will hold a virtual lawn parties this fall. The budget for this remote reincarnation is $80,000. While this sum was met with great backlash from students in online forums, including the anonymous Tiger Confessions Facebook page and, indeed, in the comments of various social media posts from the Daily Princetonian covering the announcement, USG stood by the spending for the event in an email to undergraduates Friday. Sophie Torres, class of 21, chair of the social committee, wrote in a lengthy message that they had looked extensively into donating the allocated funds, which come from the university, but were unable by student group policy. Further, Torres stated, any funding not spent for this budget cycle would not carry over to the next, and a contractually binding bid to the artist had already been made over the summer. The artist, as is tradition, has been kept under wraps. That's all for Daybreak this week. Be sure to tune in again next Sunday for the latest in Princeton news and an overview of the week's events on Daybreak, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on dailyprincetonian.com. Our show is produced under the 144th Managing Board of the Prince, and our theme is composed by Ed Horan, Class of 22. For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Mark Didici. 
Stay safe, wear a mask, and have a wonderful week.